Uh, good morning. Please stand. Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For the likes, for the day, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the works of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord, and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Thank you. Buenos dias, River City. Feliz dia de resurrección. Vamos a leer otro capítulo de escritura. Es Salmos 136, verso 1 al 9. We will read in call to response style, meaning I will read the first line, you will read the second line, I will read the third line, and so forth and so on. Your line is always going to be his love endures forever. That's going to be your constant line. So you all got it easy. <laughs> However, you are going to be reading it in Espanol. <laughs> are you ready to learn some Spanish? Everybody, repeat after me. Su gran amor perdura para siempre. Su gran amor perdura para siempre. I think we got it. <laughs> All right, so let us read out the scripture. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Su gran amor perdura para siempre. Give thanks to the God of gods. Su gran amor perdura para siempre. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Su gran amor perdura para siempre. To him alone who does great wonders, su gran amor perdura para siempre, who by his understanding made the heavens, su gran amor perdura para siempre, who spread out the earth upon the waters, su gran amor perdura para siempre, who made the great lights, su gran amor perdura para siempre. The sun to govern the day, su gran amor perdura para siempre. 
the moon and stars to govern the night. Su gran amor perdura para siempre. Amen. His, his love endures forever. taken away my Lord and I don't know where you put him you have taken away my Lord and I don't know where you put him I know he's real I know he's real I've seen him work miracles in my life and in the lives of those I love but now you have taken away my Lord and I don't know where you put him. He gave us a new command to love one another, to love one another in the same way that he loved us. And who had a special mention in that command? The children. But this, this is not love that I see. In the faces contorted with hate, the judgment, the anger, the rage, the antithesis of justice. But this is not new. This has been happening since the beginning of time. When the religious leaders heard the children shouting and saw all the wonderful miracles of healing, they were furious. Don't you hear what the children are saying? This is not right. You have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where you put him. You've hidden him. You've hidden him beside your rules, your laws, your expulsions. Instead of turning to the command of love, you've created your own commandment to love your weapons, to love your control, and to love your pride. Men, proud men, dressed in a little brief authority, most ignorant of what they're most availed. Well, shame on you. All of you who would rather set yourselves on a pedestal and lift your own name on high. You have tried to take away my Lord, but you have failed. Because I know that he is real. He is as real to me as all of my loved ones who are gone from here, but see him face to face. He is the firm foundation. He is the cornerstone. He is the giver of grace, hope, and love. You have tried to take away my Lord, but I know exactly where he is. He is alive. Matthew 27, 50. And when Jesus cried out, cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top, of the, from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. 
The, bottoms of many, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with and those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women who were watching, many women who were there watching from a distance, they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. After the Sabbath of dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said it to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them, greetings. He said, they come to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Ah, oh, could we give a hand to all those again that did that? Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Sergio. Thank you, Jen, that was beautiful. Thank you, E.K., thank you, Zariana, that was beautiful. He is risen. Today is the day that we remember that beautiful, wonderful, incredible truth. It's also kind of the day, I don't know, I'm always drawn to the fact of just how wild and incredulous it is as well. I mean, I guess this was just yesterday, I was reminded of this, I was... Uh, took my crazy dog to the dog park for a little while yesterday, which if you don't have a dog, dog parks are their own like weird little subculture where those of us who have these crazy animals that need to run off some energy, sit around and talk while they do what they do. And so I was sitting next to a young guy at the Avondale dog park and we were just having kind of some small talk. And he's like, oh, I guess this is Easter weekend, huh? I'm like, yeah, Easter weekend. He's like, you a religious kind of person at all? I was like, no, I'm peripherally involved with uh, the Christian movement. And, uh, uh, we started talking. He said, man, he goes, my hats are off to you. He said, I grew up in church, but by the time I was a high schooler, I mean, that's just, that's just too far-fetched for me. I mean, that's what y'all believe, right? That Jesus lived and died and three days later rose from the, rose from the dead, right? That's what you believe? I'm like, he's like, pretty crazy, right? I'm like, yeah, in fact, we can go bigger than that if we're going to say it's crazy. I mean, the story starts earlier than that. It says Jesus was kind of part of a triune God that was all over all of creation. <laughs> creation is mirrored to this triune God. That's kind of crazy, right? He's like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I said, and that God is eternal and above time. And he had entered into human history at a particular moment, according to the story, and took on flesh and bone. 
lived among us, was a little baby, pooping and peeing and running around, needing diapers. I mean, that's what this story is kind of crazy. And I said, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I said, then you're right. There's that whole raising from the dead. That's kind of crazy. But then more than that, this risen, resurrected Savior came to people and said, I want you to come with me into life abundantly, life eternal with God and participate with me in the changing of all things. That's kind of crazy, huh? He said, yeah. He said, you seem a little more than peripherally involved <laughs> in Christianity. I said, yeah, well, yeah. So we had our own, and he became a Christian there. It was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me, though, of, yes, I mean, for those who already believe, it is just such an easy thing, right? I and mean, this is how the early believers would identify this craziness. They would say, he is risen, right? And the other person on the other side would say, he's risen indeed, right? That changed everything. And um, it is beautiful and wonderful and just absolutely crazy. It is absolutely crazy the way this love story is talked about. <laughs> and so um, what a beautiful service we everybody had. Um, if you kind of got brought in with a River City friend or family, the, our River City community has been in the book of Matthew for a little while, and so it makes sense we're going to stick with Matthew's account. There's four big accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, Matthew, I think you could argue, had the most unlikely path to becoming a leader, to being charged with telling this story. Matthew, as a young guy, worked on the streets in between the colonial powers of Rome and the people on the ground that were marginalized and imagine kind of going door to door collecting taxes for on behalf of the Romans and your own people can't stand you and your livelihoods dependent on how much you squeeze them. That's where he was when Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh, came to him and said, I see something more. My God has told me that you are supposed to be one of the 12 that I am going to train and Matthew would not only become a key leader, but was commissioned, a really unique commission. Matthew's job was to tell the story of Jesus for his own people, for his own Jewish brothers and sisters to help them make sense that this God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, was the Messiah that their people had always believed in. And so it's a unique starting point when trying to describe the resurrection. And so as I was, of course, as we're entering year 20 here at River City, so um, uh, we've had 20 of these now together, or is that 19, whatever, the math doesn't, is not important. Uh, I've been in Matthew before, but when I came to it this year, here's, here's how I felt God kind of leading me to enter the story here. In this just simplest of ways, this is what I was asking, what I'd encourage you as, as we go back through the two, the last two that E.K. and Zariana read with us. I, I felt God kind of prompted me this way. What did Matthew see that was of particular importance to him? See, when you look at the resurrection accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I mean, most of the stuff's the same, right? He's risen, right? Empty tomb. Jesus Christ has defeated death. That's the big thing that they all see. But then each, each gospel writer draws out their own particular emphases. Just as, I mean, it's kind of, if we would have all been there, right? We would have all said Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. But then certain parts of the story would have really jumped out to us, right? And so I went in this year just saying, what is it that Matthew saw in particular? What was, what was it that landed heaviest for him? when he sat in the reality of a risen, resurrected Christ. And really just two things jumped out. I mean, in some ways you could say there's self-evidence in, the, self in these readings, but I'd like to just kind of spend a minute in each one of these and just remember with Matthew what he saw, what stood out to him about this day. So here's the first thing. This is in all four accounts, but for Matthew, this seems to play a really large role. For Matthew, when it comes to risen, resurrected Jesus, one of the first and biggest things that jumped out to him was the centrality of women. 
and even more specifically, the centrality of women leaders, of women disciples. This is the part that really jumped out in a unique way this time. Let's go back. I, I, I did, but we did a reading of both chapter 27 and 28. So Hannah, if you don't mind going to the last bit of that Matthew 27 uh, reading, one of the things that Matthew's drawing our attention to, and this is a critical part of the story then in Matthew 28 as well. You see here in, in verse 55, it says that when Jesus was at the cross, when this was all going down, many women were there. Right? He's emphasizing that in particular. Many women were there. They had followed Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus. And particular, I mean, you know how hard it must have been to be a female business person back then? Yet it was the women, and this is, this is in other accounts too, um, uh, they, they financially supported the ministry of Jesus. So not only were they disciples of Jesus, which that was a formal term. That was the, the, that was the, that was the students who had given their lives to studying the ways of a rabbi who was seen as understanding the, the, the Hebrew scriptures better than anybody. They had given their lives to him to follow him, to learn from him. They were also supporting his ministry financially. Uh, lists Mary Magdalene, who um, you know is one of the really important disciples. It's kind of cool, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, James... Uh, is it Joseph? Yeah, that, I, th I thought that's James and John, isn't it? Sorry, I'm having a moment. Isn't James and John the sons of, maybe Joseph goes by the same name, sorry. Uh, that, that's a, a, a particular uh, a thing that's jumping out, but it's just interesting. In fact, this becomes almost comical in all the, in all the resurrection accounts, but it's actually pointing to something serious. It's comical in the fact that none of the guys are there at this scene, right? Like, none of them. Not like half of them, not like a quarter of them. None of them are here. None of them are there at the cross. None of them are there at the resurrection. They all lose heart. But the mom of some of those guys was there. She had the, she had the guts to believe that what Jesus said might still be true. So she's there. Um, so for Matthew, this is really important, right? Now let's jump, let's tie this, uh, if you jump ahead now over to the Matthew 28 version of this. So of course, this is one of the big parts of the resurrection story that it's women that were there. So we see um, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. They're the ones who are looking at the tomb. They're there for Jesus. And if you go a few verses later, it ends with, um, uh, go a little bit more where he's commissioning them. Uh, uh, yeah, so verse 7, go quickly, tell the disciples Jesus is risen from the dead, going ahead of Galilee. There you'll see him. And so as the, any of us who have sat in the story know, we would not have the story of the good news of Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead if it weren't for some brave women, right, who were charged by the angel, by Jesus, to go and share the story. Now, just the last thing I want to say on this, because I specified not just the centrality of women, but the centrality of women leaders, it really jumped out to me in a new way this year. If Matthew's charge was to tell his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters about the story of Jesus Christ, this would have been really shaking the bear to be emphasizing not just women there, but women disciples that were there, right? In Judaism, I mean, even to this day, it, you don't have a female rabbi until like the first, even in the most progressive forms of Judaism, you don't have a female rabbi until 1930. So I mean, we're a couple thousand years away from a woman being considered as a rabbi, right? So therefore you didn't have students or disciples of a rabbi that were women. Women couldn't even sit by men in the same place as men in the temple. Women couldn't read scripture publicly. It was unheard of, unheard of to have female leaders and female apprentices of a rabbi. But when Matthew sees the story, it's like the dominance of women showing up is such a key part of the story. Uh, I was watching part of, there's a BBC documentary called The Female Disciples of Jesus. These two scholars that are trying to piece it all together, they think there might have been more women disciples even than there were male disciples in the time of Jesus, which is just, again, just unheard of, 
um, in that time. So when Matthew tells us a story, I mean, of course, it's all about the risen and resurrected Jesus, but the, the, the courage, the presence of women there and women leaders specifically and how they become the sign of a new world order, right? The risen, resurrected Jesus is going to flip over the systems and structures that oppress and withhold. And the first testament to that is not only women, but women leaders who courageously come and stand at the side of Jesus. You just cannot read Matthew's account without seeing how big of a role that plays. You tracking with me? So that's the first big one that is, the more I read that story, I'm like, man, that was a really big piece for Matthew. It's in, it's in all four accounts, but for Matthew, this is really big. And for the one who's charged to tell his Jewish brethren and sisters about this, this would have been a really provocative part of the story. All right, one other one. This is, this is I, I had to really kind of spend a lot of reflective time here because I knew it was important, but I couldn't get there right away. When Matthew tells this story, watching the Marys who are there, uh, Matthew really zones in on the emotional response that the Marys have uh, to this news of Jesus being raised from the dead. And it's in, uh, yeah, here it is, uh, uh, verse, verse 8, um, a really interesting combination of emotions. So the women heard away from the tomb, afraid, which makes sense, yet filled with joy. I mean, what an interesting combination of really intense and what oftentimes people would say are oppositional kinds of emotions to each other, right? Right, like I think we can understand either one by itself, right? Like we understand fear, right? I mean, if we all went around and said, what's your, what's your, what are you afraid of? That'd be kind of a funny exercise, right? So, like I'm, I, I think the first thing comes to me and just the most superficial level, I'm totally scared of heights, right? That's like something that will always get me. I'm that guy that even like when you're on the Sears Tower or whatever it's called now, when you're on the top floor looking down and of course it's protected, I can't even look out those windows. I get so scared. I feel just the slightest little wind and I'm like, this thing's going down. I, I need to get that bottom floor right away. <laughs> I took my kids for the first time to the Great America Water Park this year. Even just the staircase up there, they'd be kind of like looking over and like, get the, you know, like, I'm like genuinely freaked out of heights, all right? So like that like overtakes me when I'm up high. I get fear. I also get joy, right? And I think of very different things when I think of joy, right? Like, I don't know, it'd be another fun exercise. What are the things that bring us joy, bring, bring you joy? You know, I think of, I don't know, I think of like a beautiful walk out in nature and the joy, Yeah. You know? I feel like half of us in here are mountain people, half of us in here are ocean people. You, you, know, you, know, you ever notice nature people, it's one or the other. You always want to be one or the other. I'm an ocean person. If I want joy, feeling that ocean breeze, right? That, I'm going to feel joy when I'm doing that. When I'm with people I love, just having wide open, vulnerable conversations, right? I can feel joy in that. I understand fear. I understand joy. I don't think of many times where I'm feeling both of those in an intense way at the same time. And for Matthew, that's such an important part of the story. And here's the other thing that jumped out about that, that image of fear and joy together. I don't know why I never really thought about this before, but as Matthew is telling the story, I just kind of dawned on me again, like Matthew wasn't actually there <laughs> to experience any of this himself, right? In that, in that manner, he's kind of like all of us. We weren't actually physically there, but we're being invited into the story. Matthew wasn't actually there when it all first happened. So how is it that Matthew found a way to enter that story? How is it that Matthew found a way to participate in that story? He studied those women, right? He, he wanted to know everything about what they experienced when they saw the 
earthquake and the thunder and the lightning when they saw the angel when Jesus came and greeted them, which uh, th this would have been a third point if I had time, but apparently I'm doing it anyway. When Jesus, in that, uh, 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 let me do one fast little side, because it's such a cool little, Hannah, will you go one more verse? I just think this is such a great little, a great little thing. Um, suddenly Jesus met them and says, greetings. <laughs> That sounds so cheesy, doesn't it? Risen, resurrected Jesus. Greetings, friend. <laughs> but it's actually, we just don't have a great English word for it. It's just, it just, it's like a very casual hello. The risen, resurrected Jesus comes and sees him and says, hey, hey, Mary, hey, Mary. It's time. Remember I told you all that? It's time, right? So let's go do it. So go back again if you would. So Matt, so so Matthew's watching this story unfold through their eyes, which I think is such an important part. Uh, Matthew's identifying and connecting to the story of the risen resurrection of Jesus through the experience of these Marys. And they tell him that they have this kind of intense combination of both fear and joy. And this is where I'm taking just a tiny bit of liberty with my divine imagination. I mean, it's clear in the text that it's there. The slight stretch I'm saying is that Matthew was making this connection. But here's what I think happened. I think Matthew went back through everything that had happened and you and, and, and felt that same combination of a little bit afraid and a whole bunch of joy happening at the same time. Right? When you go back to that chapter 27 again, uh, this is the kind of stuff, like I'm thinking of my new friend that I was talking to yesterday who said this, this story is unbelievable. <laughs> like, if you want to keep, you want to keep adding to that, uh, how about a story where it says... <laughs> A curtain got ripped from the top to the bottom, and then a bunch of dead people came back to life. <laughs> you see, you see, uh, go back, go back one more, if you will. Um, verse fifty-one, Matthew says, "At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, tombs broke open, bodies of whole people died, were raised to life. They came out, start talking about the resurrected." <laughs> if you're already tipping towards this, is a little bit of an unbelievable story. Matthew will take you all the way to the extreme on that, and yet here, here. Here's where that took on a new meaning for me. I, 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 I suspect that Matthew felt that same combination of both fear, especially if you think of fear as a sense of awe, right? Of like, I don't know what to do with this thing, and yet joy at the same time, right? Like that first image there, I mean, the, this curtain, it's not like a curtain that would be like a backdrop of here. This curtain was massive. It was not something any human being or any group of human beings could tear on their own. When God tore the veil inside the temple. I mean, I mean, I actually think this is a powerful visual. I think what Matthew's saying is, it's like everybody all at once knew that something that human beings couldn't do, God came in, and imagine the God of the universe ripping in half anything that stood in the way between you and God. The resurrection to Matthew manifested in such a way that the God of the universe, who they had seen and known in the enfleshment of Jesus the Christ, but now realizing that God that Jesus had been sent from, that God ripped, and it's even just the imagery, it's like not from bottom to top, because maybe human beings could slowly start cutting their way. No, it's like God ripped from top to bottom that veil, which represented anything and everything that would stand between us and God. I think that aroused some combination similar to what happened to the women, where it's like terrifying almost, the majestic reality of a God who can tear a curtain like that in half and yet also filled with joy because what else could it possibly mean other than God saying, don't let anything stop you from stepping into the reality of the love of God. Don't let, don't let yourself feel like there's anything that could ever be in the way of you experiencing my presence. 
I think when Matthew tells this crazy story of people, the holy people who were dead and come back to life for a little while <laughs> to bear testament to the risen, resurrected Christ, I think for Matthew what he's saying is the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a supercharged version of more behaviors and rules that we need to follow, a new religion that's going to compete with other kinds of religions for the manifestation of our devotion. I think what Matthew's saying is this resurrected Jesus, not only has God defeated death, which is crazy enough, but this God that defeats death takes all things that are dead and brings them to life. And to make this point, I think even for himself, to, 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 to paint the picture of just how far-reaching this death-to-life thing goes, Matthew says, even the people who were dead in the graves had to come back to life for a little bit to bear witness to what just happened here. That this ain't just a guru. This isn't just somebody who's pointing us towards a better ethic, a better way of living. This is the God who makes dead things come to life. I think for Matthew, that was probably terrifying and absolutely joy-inducing all at the same time. Because I think what Matthew, that young tax collector who's now being charged to tell the story, you know, you, know what I think, you know what I think he saw in that? This is where I think the joy comes from. When you see a God who has come in the flesh, died to confront principalities of evil, social structures of evil, religious systems of evil, our own evil that we enact, when that God dies and overcomes that and comes back to life, you just can't go back to normal after that. You can't just go, oh, yeah, that's cool. So what do I need to do now? Right, what's expected? Of, and I mean, it just, it changes everything. And I think Matthew is emphasizing that, that, right, when you come to life, that doesn't mean you have answers to every question. It doesn't mean that the hard things happening suddenly become easy. But when you're alive, right, when you're alive, you can interact in a different kind of way. You can grow, you can move, you can change, right? You can become something different. And so I think this is what Matthew did. I think Matthew was blown away by the way all the women showed up, these women that Jesus had been training and discipling. And then I think Matthew looked at the story of Jesus through these, the eyes of these Marys. And I don't know, I can't think of a better way to kind of wrap up our time, at least this part of the reflection before we close out in worship, than for us maybe to do the same kind of thing and say, we weren't there, but neither was Matthew for that matter. And yet it changed his life. And so can, can, I, can we actually do kind of a group reflective exercise? I want to kind of give you freedom. You can keep your eyes wide open and stare at me and think if you want, which is totally fine. You can close your eyes and reflect if you want. I, want. I want us to lean in with our imagination, lean in with our hearts and souls into this um, because this is something that's not less than an intellectual exercise, but it's something so much more than that to encounter the risen and resurrected, the living God. And so I'm just going to kind of lead us in an exercise here. We'll just go through those same two images <laughs> that kind of seem to capture the heart of what just happened for Matthew, something that leaves him in a sense of awe, something that leaves him in a sense of joy. I think I'm even going to close my eyes as I do this. So you do however you want. This is, this is, this is, this is what we're going to do right now is nothing more than trying to create space to listen, to hear, to trust that the same risen living God who met the Marys, who later came to the disciples, comes to us 
And so I want to invite you to allow your heart, your imagination, your mind, your spirit, your soul to focus on that first image that Matthew focused on <laughs> that kind of captures the craziness of what happened. Imagine a giant veil that communicates to people you have to do something different, be something different, act somehow different in order to come into the presence of God. Can you try to think of your own version of that right now? What are the things that say to you, I cannot dare enter into the presence of God as I am? Is it your own mistakes and failures that makes you feel like there's a giant curtain between you and God? Is, your, is it your own sense of internal doubt? Feel like you don't believe enough, you don't have enough confidence to fully enter into the presence of God? Is it hurts or pains or disillusionment that feels like a giant curtain between you and God? And Matthew says, God tore that curtain from top to bottom, opened the space wide open to all who would come. Can you trust that God wants you to come into God's presence? Can you trust that even if you don't, God's going to come after you and beg you to receive this love that's higher and deeper and wider than we could ever imagine? This is the story. This is the good news of a risen, resurrected Christ. Even though this is a wild image, can you picture the testament to life being so strong that even dead people were coming back to life for a period of time? to bear witness to the power of the resurrected king? Can you trust that in addition to being welcomed into the presence of God, God wants you to be alive? That in the totality of who we are, certainly we are brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. But it can get really specific too. Often there are parts of us that feel kind of alive and other parts of us that just feel dead, injured, cut off. For Matthew, this was a big part of the resurrection story. This is the God who brings life. One of the other gospel accounts, the angel asks, why do you come looking for the living among the dead? The one who defeated death, doesn't want us to just look at that reality that is the source of life. It is the one who touches those dead parts and brings us to life. Are you able to hear that in your own way? Can you imagine Jesus the Good Shepherd inviting you right now into life, into forgiveness of sin, into an encounter of love, into a commissioning to participate in the mission of God. <laughs> I think when we see it right, we'll be kind of scared because it's intimidating when the God of the universe calls you by name and invites you all the way in. But oh, if it's working right, it should also fill us with a sense of joy to know that you are known, to trust that you are seen, to be carried by the God who came and got you, 
and lead you now into life everlasting. And now, God, we pray. We have this incredible gift of communing together, sitting in the same room, joined together virtually, looking with saints across the globe right now at the story, more than the story, the news, the good news of a God who left the eternal realms, took on flesh and blood, lived among us, died at the hands of evil, of sin, of cruelty, of oppression, of injustice, who came out on the other side alive, tearing down the strongholds, ripping apart anything that stands between us and God. May we have a holy sense of awe about that. This is not playing games. If you are who you are and if we are who we are, this is so much more than just trying to check the boxes of being a good Christian. This is about living aligned with the almighty God who calls us to yourself. May we be filled with joy on this Resurrection Sunday in the year of our Lord, 2023. May it touch us at the deepest parts. That's what we long for. Now with everything in us, we stand, we worship, we sing, we respond to the one who has called us by name. We remember who you are. We remember how this changes everything. We remember who we are. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.